I love that song that we just sang. It's written by David Crowder, by the way, uh, if you were wondering. Um, and you can, you can literally go online when you leave this place. You go to YouTube and, and you, can, you can Google David Crowder, this I know. And you can find the story of kind of why he wrote that song and what he was thinking. And, and it's kind of neat. One of the things he, he says, it just reminds me of, of those simple times. Those, those, he says, you know, I was born in church and, you know, the first song I ever knew was Jesus loves me, this I know. And, and there just sometimes in life we need to get back to those, those simple moments, don't we? Sometimes we overcomplicate things and we just need to go back to that place where God's love the very first time rushed over us and we just camp out there. And I thought when I heard that story, it was so cool. And um, when we began singing with my daughter, my daughter's favorite line of Jesus loves me is not actually Jesus loves me. It's this I know. And she will just sing it over and over and over. She'll shout, this I know, and just over and over and over. And so, uh, so cool. And so, uh, anyway, this morning, um, I want to talk to you about something that I know. And I want to talk to you about the Lord's love for you and why Jesus is better. That is our series. That's where we've been. So we're in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 14 and, uh, and read till we reach the end of the chapter. And uh, I pray that the Lord would speak to you with this this morning. It says... Uh, in the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14, uh, that we are to make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, for who a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God uh, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. 
And listen, as we uh, began our study last week in Hebrews 12, I kind of shared with you one of the keys to Bible study when we're studying Scripture. One of the things that we want to do is we want to make sure that we look for key words or central words, we call them. And those are just when we're reading a text. If there's a word that stands out, the text seems to all point towards one word, you probably want to figure out what that word means because it's central to the meaning of that text, right? And, and so I said sometimes uh, what, what God will do is he'll repeat a word several times in a, in a, in a section of Scripture so that you get what the central word is. And last week, that word was discipline. God uh, used the word discipline nine times in the verses that we studied, and he used the word son six times in the verse that we said, so that's the importance of central words. So now another lesson when you're studying the Bible and you're reading it, uh, another thing that you might want to look for uh, that we want to identify as important is anytime you come to a passage that has a comparison or a contrast, Okay? That's something you want to pay close attention to. Because the author is making a point, he's making an argument, uh, that means w- what's about to be said is really important. And in this case, in our text, uh, our author has been making a point since the beginning of chapter 1. Do you remember what the point is? It's on the screen. Jesus is better. You remember these, these people, this church, these are Christian Jews, and they're facing great persecution. And, and, and they're facing great pressure from family members to return to Judaism saying, go back to Judaism. And so our author's been making this argument, Jesus is better than Judaism. And, and this, uh, this morning in our text, the, he, he continues that argument by using a great contrast, and he's going he's gonna to contrast uh, two mountains. And each mountain is a symbol of a covenant. The first mountain he's, he's going to use is he's going to use uh, uh, Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai is in Exodus 19 where Moses is going to walk up and he's going to meet with God. And, and this, is, this is the old covenant. This is the covenant of the law, right? And, and so we have Mount Sinai and he's going to talk about all that transpired there and he's going to describe that mountain. Then he's going to turn to Jesus and he's going to talk about Mount Zion and he's going to describe that mountain. And we need to know what he says about both, okay? So that we can see that Jesus is truly better. So uh, we're going to start... Uh, by talking about Mount Sinai, three things that I want you to see. Okay, number one, according to our text, Sinai was a mountain of darkness and gloom. According to our text, uh, Mount Sinai was a, was a mountain of darkness and of gloom. Look at verse 18. It says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched. Uh, by the way, it's, it, now, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched. He's, he's talking like you've come to Zion. You haven't come to Sinai. Sinai could be touched, but you shouldn't touch it because if you did, you'd die. Okay? But it was a physical place. He's saying you, do, you haven't come to a physical place like that, but, but just follow me. So he said, you haven't come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. And he goes on to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard them began to tremble with fear. And so uh, the, the description of Sinai, here is is pretty basic. He says uh, it's it's filled with darkness and with gloom. And so uh, if you want kind of a better account, we we go to Exodus 19. And so turn with me to Exodus chapter 19, and and, uh, we're going to start in verse 16. And while you guys turn there, I'll just say uh, that that you remember the great story of Exodus, right? Uh, God's chosen people, his children, were enslaved in Egypt. They cried out to God, and God heard their cries, and God delivered them miraculously. He sent a leader, a man named Moses, and Moses came to be the mouthpiece of God. And he said, Pharaoh, let my people go, so that they may worship me uh, up on the mountain. Okay? So God's God's heart was that his people would be free to 
worship him. Uh, we're supposed to be free from sin so that we can worship God. And so uh, they, they, they leave Egypt, and now uh, the scripture says in Exodus chapter 19, it's now the third month. They've been free, now they're entering the third month, and, and God is going to set them apart and consecrate them as his people, and he's going to give them a covenant which they must keep, and God's deal with them was, listen, if you keep my commands, then I'm going to continue to bless you. Egets. This is the basic of this covenant. It's, it's up on our dependence uh, and our obedience, okay? And so, so, so here we go, uh, Exodus chapter 19. I'm just going to read verse 16. It says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Uh, everyone at the, in the camp trembled, uh, trembled okay? So, so on, the, on the morning of the third day, there's thunder, there's lightning with a thick cloud over a mountain, a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp began to tremble. Something supernatural is going on. They've gathered around a mountain, and it's not just a storm. The whole sky is black. Imagine that you're at the base of Sinai now, and you're trying to look up. Moses is supposed to go where? To the top to meet with God. When he, when he goes through, he's going to enter in through blackness. You will not be able to see him. You, you are separated from this holy God that, that in awe and power is showing you who he really is. Right? And, and so they shook with fear. It says that this supernatural sound happened, this trumpet blast, and it began to shake the mountain and make the mountain tremble. If you read on, it says it grew louder and louder, and it freaked everybody out. I'm pretty sure if we're sitting here today and God uh, began to blow uh, this supernatural trumpet, that we're all going to kind of quake with fear too. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to be like, I wonder what that is. Where, what's going on? You're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to freak you out. And it freaked them out. And so, so what I want you... Now, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Because God is proving a point to his people that he is all-powerful. Now, you think, well, he already covered that with the Red Sea, right? No, he said, listen, I am powerful, but I am not just powerful. I am holy, and you should revere me and live in fear of what I may do to you if you break this word I give you. That's the old covenant. That's the old covenant. It's, it's a mountain of fear. It's a mountain of gloom. It's a mountain of doom. This is what Sinai represents. Number two, according to our text, Sinai uh, was a mountain of judgment. Sinai was a, was a mountain of judgment. What happens upon this mountain? What is, what, is, what is given? What transpires upon this mountain with blackness and, and with trembling and with the supernatural trumpet? What's given here? The law, right? The, the law is given here. At, at this mountain, you must obey the law, what? Perfectly. Or else you will face judgment. That's what Sinai is, is about. From here the law is delivered. It is written on stone. It, it points to the kind of life that pleases God, but it provides zero power to do so. Doesn't that feel good, right? By the way, here's how you should live, but I, I can't do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can't do that. You, it has no power. Here man is measured and judged by his own performance and, and all are found lacking. At this mountain, the law condemns all men as sinners and lawbreakers. Represents the old covenant. What did the old covenant do? 
People always wonder, that. what was the purpose of the law then? Why, why would God give the law to the people? Why is there Sinai? Ready? It's the point of Sinai is to see that you need a Savior. That's why this mountain exists. Listen to what Paul says about it, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. He says, now, I would look for these words. He says, now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So what ministry transpired on the mountain? Did you see how it's described? The ministry that brings death and condemnation. That's what happens on Sinai. Death and condemnation are delivered on this mountain. That's what it's about. It's about judgment. It's about judgment. I I like what John MacArthur says here. He says, to stand at the foot of Sinai, even without touching it, is to stand under judgment and doom. It demands and it punishes, since no man in himself can fulfill its demands, no man in himself can escape its punishment. This is Sinai. That's what it's about. Doom judgment, okay? Finally, I would say this to you. Uh, Sinai was a mountain of fear. Sinai was a mountain of fear. I'm, I'm back in Hebrews 12. I'm going to read 18 through 21. It says, you have not come to a mountain that can be du- touched and uh, that is burning with fire, to a, a darkness, um, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. You know a good time to freak out, guys? Ready? This is the only good time to freak out. When your leader freaks out. Like, that's probably when you should start getting a little freaked out, right? I mean, just follow me, okay? If you go on a fishing expedition, and, and, and suddenly you see that a storm arises, and the captain of the boat puts on his survival suit, right? Probably a good sign, time to start praying. I'm a little freaked out now. The captain just put on a survival suit, and he's, getting, he's, he's heading towards the raft. Like, maybe I should follow, right? If, if you're ever on an airplane, and you see the cockpit door open... And the pilot and the co-pilot come out and put on a parachute, right? That is a good time to freak out. Like, that's officially, that's okay, right? If you ever have a a great friend that is a, a, a meteorologist, he's a storm chaser, and you see him running in the opposite direction of a storm, right? That is a sign that you should probably freak out and head where he's heading. I want you to hear what the leader of, of, of Israel, Moses, the, the God-ordained, appointed leader of, of the nation does at Sinai. Ready? It's verse 21. Hebrews 12. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This is Sinai. This is Sinai. You should be freaked out about Mount Sinai. You you should be freaked out about the old covenant. You should be freaked out about the need to be righteous. You should be freaked out about the thought that you have to fulfill the law perfectly. You should be freaked out about the fact that God is holy and can have no sin in His presence. You should be freaked out about that. You really, really should. It should cause you to tremble. 
And when we study Scripture, we see this over and over and over again. Then when, when sinful people come into the presence of a holy, all-powerful God, they quake with fear, right? You look at Isaiah, for instance. Isaiah goes into the temple, and, and it is filled with smoke, and it begins to shake, and he falls, and he cries, Woe and me, for I am ruined! Like, like, when sinful people come into the presence of an all-powerful, holy God, this is the only right reaction, is to tremble with fear. And that's what Sinai is all about. That is, that's what this mountain is all about. It's a mountain of fear. Praise God, there is another mountain mentioned in our text. I'd like to tell you about it if you don't mind. It is Mount Zion. Luckily for us, this, this other mountain is one that was formed and fashioned through the love and the obedience of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to take you there, if you don't mind, three things about Zion. Number one, I want you to see that Zion is a mountain of joy. Remember, this is a study in contrast, and so uh, Sinai is all about fear, and it's about judgment, and it's about death, Right? But what is Zion about? Zion is about joy. Look at verse 22. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to, get this, thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. A mountain of fear or a mountain of joy surrounded by angels and all of the saints worshiping the living God. It's your choice. What mountain do you want to go to? Somebody says, well, what is Zion? Where is Zion? What, what does that look like? Well, Zion, uh, specifically, is, is the place that when David uh, got the Ark of the Covenant back, he put it up on the mountain. And, uh, and it's called Mount Zion. It was the place, you know, the Ark of the Covenant was the, the, the earthly dwelling of God with his people. When Solomon built the temple, Mount Moriah, they actually moved the Ark of the Covenant to Mount Moriah. You want to know what they started calling Mount Moriah? Zion. You know Why? Because Zion is just a portrait. It's a picture of what's to come. Zion literally is is the city where God dwells and lives with his chosen people. Zion is Revelation chapter 21. when, When Jesus is speaking and he says, Behold, the new Jerusalem created a new heaven and a new earth and new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. Man didn't build it up, by the way. Did you notice that? Man doesn't build up the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is built for man by God, comes down, and God says, this is my city, this is the city of God, and and my people will dwell here, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and there will be no more weeping or mourning, there will be no more death or disease. Why? Because all of those things will be overcome with joy. There is joy in the Lord. Zion is a mountain of joy, right? Secondly, our text would say that Zion is a mountain of grace. Zion is a mountain of grace. I'm going to read 22 through 24. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the mountain of the living God. Father, Spirit, and Son 
who conquered death, who died in your place and in my place that we might have access to God. This is the place where when we read uh, earlier in Hebrews that Jesus sits on his throne and that throne is called what? The throne of grace. This is where that throne is. And, and so, therefore, Zion is the mountain, it is the city uh, of grace. It is the place where a living God dwells, a living God who gave himself up and died in our place, but conquered death for our sake that we might be with him. It is the city of grace. And if you walk through the text, it says this is the church of the firstborn. Right where, where the spirits of righteous men made perfect dwell. Not where perfect people, but where the spirits of righteous men that were what? They were made perfect. That's called grace. Dwell. How were they made perfect? By Jesus, it says, it goes on, the mediator. Right? The mediator of this new covenant. And, and, and what does it do? How did he do that? Because he shed his perfect blood. And it says his blood, whose blood speaks a better word than that of Abel. This is what I want you to see. This is grace. Maybe you miss, like, I still don't see the grace here, Pastor. Let me show you the grace. Ready? Remember the story of Abel? Had a brother named Cain, right? Both going to make an offering to, to God. Abel made a better offering. Cain was jealous. He killed his brother. Thought nobody saw it. But Abel's blood spoke a word. Do you remember the word it spoke specifically? What? Have you done? Abel's blood spoke a word. Ready? What have you done? And this text says Jesus' blood, which was shed for our sake, also speaks a word, but it speaks a better word than Abel's. Now, Abel's blood was shed, and it said, what have you done? Christ's blood was shed, and it says, it doesn't matter what you have done. It's about grace. It doesn't matter what you have done. I love you. And if you put your faith and your trust in me, I will make you clean. I will make you righteous. Not because of anything that you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. His blood speaks a better word, right? What's that called? Grace. <laughs> this is the mountain of grace, right? Lastly, I would say this, guys. Zion is a mountain of invitation. Zion is a mountain of invitation. Again, contrast, right? Okay, so, so we've got Sinai, and, and there is uh, pitch black darkness, and, and there is uh, lightning, and there is smoke billowing up the mountain, and, and there is, um, it's shaking, and there's some kind of supernatural trumpet sound that is freaking everybody out. Not really the place you invite your friends, right? Like, like not, not really the most, hey, you want to go have a picnic? That's not the place you want to have the picnic. You following me? Like the most uninviting mountain ever. And then you look to Zion. And you look to Zion and, and you begin to see Jesus, right? And, and you see the one who invites you to, to join him. You, you begin to see the one who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You begin to see the one that, that, that says, like, This is love, right? This is love. Not that you love me, but that I loved you. 
I gave myself up for you. You, you begin to see the one Matthew 22 that says, Come um, to the, the feast and the celebration that my Father has prepared for you. All of it. This is Matthew 22, the parable. The way, everything is ready. Would you join me for dinner? Would you come and you see the invitation of God? And that's what Zion is about. It's about the invitation, the extension of grace to sinful people from God. And the point our our text makes, and again, maybe we missed it, is that this isn't a place that we can touch. Anybody tired of trying to? (laughs) Right? I mean, you tried to touch Zion with everything you have. You said, man, that sounds so good. I want that, I want that, I want that. Listen, according to our text, Zion isn't a place that you can touch, but I want to tell you it definitely is a place that can touch you. Because it is upon this mountain where God breaks through our hearts of stone and by the power of his love makes us come alive for him. And is it this place that strangers become sons and daughters where fear is replaced by love? It's this place where those who have received that love are overwhelmed by a God that loves them fiercely. I don't know if you've ever thought about that word. God loves you fiercely. It's at this place that once we get that love, we choose to worship that God and we say, He is enough. I don't want anything else. I want this to be truly all that I know. There's not a whole lot you can do with that message. There are two mountains involved, and so I'll give you two steps of application. I think both are important. The first thing I would encourage you to do is I really, really, really want you to see Sinai. I want you to see Sinai, and I want you to see it well. I want you to see that God is holy, and God is just, and God is all-powerful. I want you to see that there will be judgment, right? And either you can be judged based on your own righteousness, or you can stand before that God who will judge based on a righteousness that was given to you by Jesus and his perfect record who died in your place. So I want you to look at Sinai. I want you to understand that God still demands perfection, right? But after you look at that and you understand that you can't do that, I want you to look to Zion. See, the point of Sinai is to show you that you need a Savior. And once you understand that you need a Savior, you run to Zion. You run to the arms of that Savior and you cry out, God save me, I need you. I need you. This is the heart of the gospel, by the way, um, that we are a people that are in need of Jesus, that we are a people that are in need of grace. Um, and I, I want to I challenge you uh, here. When I say run to Zion, I didn't want you to camp out on Zion. We, we, um, I've got many Christian brothers and sisters, and I love them dearly, and I truly believe that they met the grace of God, they received the grace of God, their hearts of stone were turned to hearts of flesh upon this mountain, but then something in their theology made them think that somehow they had to run back to Sinai in order that they might be righteous. 
in order that they might become uh, more like Jesus. Somehow, like, we got the grace of God at this mountain, we received the love of God at this mountain, but then we thought somehow we needed to go work out our own salvation, so we ran back to Sinai with all of its commandments, and so we're judging ourselves based on how good we're doing. We're like, man, I'm a sorry Christian, and I stink at this, and I don't do that, and I'm I'm blah, blah, blah. And so we, we live our lives at the base of Sinai when we should actually be climbing to higher and higher heights Mount Zion. Have you read Philippians recently? Philippians, great books, only four chapters. I encourage you to read it. You know, Paul uh, loves the church in Philippi. He founded the church in Philippi. Uh, he, uh, he has a great heart for him. They supported his, his ministry. They supported everywhere he went. They gave him love gifts and they, they supported him. Uh, he helped found the church there with Lydia. Lydia was a wealthy merchant. Um, so probably the church continued to give financially to him wherever he went. Um, but something happened. Paul ended up in prison. And, uh, and then it says that this church in Philippi, they're facing the same thing that Paul is facing. Right? Uh, the same people that oppose Paul are now opposing them. And it's funny uh, because Paul's in prison, uh, which probably isn't funny. But Paul um, doesn't actually pray that they would be delivered from the people at all. He does not pray that their situation would change one iota. You know what he prays? He prays that they would know more and more of God. That's what he prays. He doesn't pray for deliverance. He says, I pray that you would know God more. That's my prayer for you. You know what he's praying? He's saying, listen, I'm not praying about Sinai things. I want you to climb Zion. I want you to get closer and closer to the God that saved you, that loves you more than anything else. I want you to know him because he will be more than enough than anything you face in this world. So we've got to stop looking to Sinai for all the answers and know that our Savior is always seated on Mount Zion. And that is where we should dwell as well. So see Sinai. See all of its demands. But please, please, please. Literally, we say this, for the love of God. I mean it. For the love of God, run to Zion. Jesus is a better mountain. This is... I know. Do you pray with me?